Our scripture text this morning comes from John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. John's Gospel, chapter 3, beginning with verse 14 and reading through verse 21. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the human one be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him isn't judged. Whoever doesn't believe in him is already judged because they don't believe in the name of God's only son. This is the basis for judgment. The light came into the world, and people loved darkness more than the light, for their actions are evil. All who do wicked things hate the light and don't come to the light for fear that their actions will be exposed to the light. Whoever does the truth comes to the light so that it can be seen that their actions were done in God. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of God's word. Let us pray. Almighty God, as we have stated over and over, we are not worthy of the love that you so generously give. Speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, speak to our actions, Lord, so that those around us will know that the things that we do come from you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There is a beautiful story that is told about a small mountain school, a school that had a very hard time keeping a teacher. Now, the reason they had a hard time keeping a teacher was because there was a certain group of boys in that school whose goal was to make sure that no teacher stayed very long. They took pride in running off teacher after teacher. One of the biggest and roughest of those boys was named Tom. 
But then one day, a new young teacher arrived at the school, and this new young teacher won over this small group of rowdy boys. And the way he did that was he allowed them to write the rules for the school. Those rules were very strictly enforced with a rod. For example, if you were caught cheating, you would be punished with five strokes from a rod. If you were caught stealing, you were punished by ten strokes of the rod. And any punishment that was given by the rod was to be received with the offender's coat being removed. And everything went along fine until one day, one day, big, rough Tom had his lunch stolen. There was a very small, frail little boy who admitted his guilt. Everyone in the class knew this young lad. He wore hand-me-down clothes that were usually two or three sizes bigger than he was. But the school demanded that this young boy be whipped for stealing the lunch. When the teacher called the little boy to the front of the room, the little boy came timidly whimpering and begging the teacher to leave his coat on. But the students insisted that the rules be followed. And they demanded that the little boy take off his coat. As the little boy began to take off his oversized coat, there fell across the room this deadly silence. Because underneath the coat, the little boy had no shirt. And his small frame looked like very thin skin stretched over bone. The teacher gasped when the little boy dropped his coat, and he dropped the rod onto the floor because he knew that he could never strike this little boy. But all of a sudden, in the midst of that silence, big, rough Tom walks to the front of the room and stands in between the teacher and the frail little boy. And he says, teacher, I'll take his whipping. 
After all, it was my lunch that was stolen. The teacher nodded in agreement. He struck Tom once, twice, and on the third blow, the rod broke. The teacher tossed it to the corner of the room, and he said, that is enough. Class dismissed. With tears streaming down his face, the frail little boy comes up and he gently places his hand on Tom's arm. And he says, thank you, Tom. Those would have killed me. And he turned and walked away. Who could help but be moved to gratitude by someone who was willing to take their place, to take the punishment, to suffer the consequences. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Does that move you to gratitude? Does it move you to the place that you rethink your life? Or the meaning that you are living out? Or have you heard those words so many times at this point that they mean nothing? We see those words plastered on billboards. We see them on cardboard posters at sporting events. Have we become immune to the power of those words? Sir John Bowing was twice elected to Parliament. He spoke five languages. He was knighted by the Queen. He was governor over Hong Kong. He wrote 36 books ranging from politics to religion. He wrote a poem, 
a poem that eventually was set to music. A poem that was set to music that became a hymn. He wrote it as he sailed around the China coast. He passed the tiny community of Mako, where an earthquake had completely leveled the city. He saw the ruins of a mission church. The cross that had stood proudly atop that church was now crumbled and sitting amongst the ruins of that church. As Sir John saw this site, it impressed him to the point that he wrote these words. In the cross of Christ I glory, towering o'er the wrecks of time, all the light of sacred story gathers round its head sublime. When the woes of life o'ertake me, hopes deceive and fears annoy. Never shall the cross forsake me. Lo, it glows with peace and joy. That, my friends, is merely one impact that the cross had on someone who came to realize that there truly was one who took his place. But in our modern day thinking, surely we have to ask, was the cross really necessary? Was it so important that that was the tool that brought us to attention? The cross was the cruelest form of execution. Surely, there was another way. But the fact is, Jesus could not ask his disciples to pay a greater price than he himself was willing to pay. And if you've done any study at all on the disciples, you know that they all died in many different ways of suffering. Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't think himself worthy to be crucified the same way that Jesus was. There were disciples who were 
thrown to wild animals in the arenas with the crowd screaming. There were many who were burned. And remember the story of Stephen who was stoned to death? We live in a hard world. Either fortunately or unfortunately, where we live today in the United States affords us a certain security and certain comfort, if you will. And because of where we live, a lot of times we are sheltered from truths like the deaths of those who died for their beliefs. And as I thought about this message for today, I couldn't help but wonder, and as I wondered, it was a sobering realization for me, is there anything today here in the United States that we are willing to die for? That we are willing to give up our lives for? And I sincerely hope that you do not answer that question too quickly. Because I truly think it's a question that we each need to spend some time with. We are so accustomed here in this place to comfort and convenience that it would be very hard for us to pay that ultimate price of our life for our faith. And maybe that is one of the reasons that there could be no other way than the cross. But what else? Surely there is more. Without the cross in our sights, we could not see the destruction of sin in the world. You know, it's always a tragedy when someone dies before his or her time. I remember as a nation when we mourn the death of John Lennon and his creativity. I hear stories and songs of the time that Marilyn Monroe was found dead in her apartment. Some of you may remember the very first public school shooting in Columbine. And that brave young girl, Cassie Bernal, who stood up to her accuser and stood firm in her faith. 
and she died for her action. Many of you remember hearing the story of Jim Elliott and Nick Saint and the other young missionaries who were in the jungles of Ecuador and they were killed by a tribe of natives there in Ecuador for their faith. Jesus himself was only 33 years old. 33 years old. When he died at Calvary, he had been falsely accused. He was bitterly hated. And yet he was guilty of no wrong. He was a healer and a helper. He was one who loved children. He was a liberator of people who were imprisoned by their own sin and their own guilt. He was a man who knew God so intimately that he addressed him as Abba or Daddy. Yet, even with that, he never lost his heart or his concern for those who were the least and the lost and the lowest. And yet still, we picture him hanging on the cross of shame. And it was sin that put him there. Your sin and my sin. But there's got to be one more reason that there was no other way there was no other way for God to show the depth and the width of his love except by the gift of his son. 1 John 4 says these words, In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to give his life to pay for our sins. One of my heroes of the faith, Corey Ten Boom, spoke this way of God's love. And the cross. She said, In the forest fire, there is always one place where the fire cannot reach. It is the place 
where the fire has already burned itself out. Calvary is the place where the fire of God's judgment, his judgment against sin, burned itself out. It burned itself out completely. And it is right there that we are safe. What wondrous love is this, O oh my soul, that caused the Lord of bliss to lay aside his crown for my soul. He laid aside his crown for my soul. And that is why the cross had to be. Jesus could not ask his disciples either then or now, to make a sacrifice that he himself was not willing to make. There was absolutely no other way to reveal the awfulness of sin and the awesomeness of God's love. And the challenge remains for us today to respond in faith to that love. The challenge is to throw off the sin that keeps us going in the wrong direction rather than towards the cross. The challenge is to over and over give our lives completely to Jesus Christ. Have you done that already? Or is now the time, perhaps, during this season of Lent, these 40 days that we spend looking at ourselves inwardly, and how we're living our lives outwardly? Maybe this is the time to realize the full extent of God's love for you. And I don't do this very often. But if you would like to spend some time in prayer at the altar, you are most welcome. Spend some time with you and your Savior, sorting out these things. The time is yours. Maybe it's a time that you want to come and simply thank Him 
for where you see the places that he's been at work in your life and in your hearts. Use this time to thank him. You are welcome to come to the altar. You are welcome to stay in your seat. But I encourage you to use this time after our final song and our prayer this morning. Let us pray. Almighty God, do not let us miss an opportunity to spend time with you. Thanking you, Father, for what you have done in our lives, in our hearts, the promise of what you will continue to do, Lord, in the days, in the weeks, in the months, and the years to come. This time is ours, Lord, to spend in your presence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.